You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Bitterness. Here's a simple definition. Extreme ill will. A grudge. And if left undealt with, it can actually turn into hatred. You can be so embittered toward the person or persons that you actually hate them. Bitterness not only affects me, if I allow it to bite me, it'll affect others. And we'll see how that works out as we go along. Have you ever felt embittered towards someone? Well, in today's message, Pastor Danny will share with you about what bitterness is and the dangers that come with it. To be bitter towards someone means that you have harsh ill will against them or a chip on your shoulder from someone hurting you. But that bitterness can turn into anger and everyone knows the dangers of anger. The Bible says that if you hate someone in your heart, you might as well have murdered them. It's a sin. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 with today's edition of The Living Word. left off verse 14. So grab your Bibles, look down with me. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. That was one of the things God said at that time. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Now, what's he referring to in those few verses? When God came down on Mount Sinai and with the rumbling, the thunder, the lightning, and the fire, uh, scared the living daylights out of them. That even Moses was trembling with fear. Then he calls Moses up on the mountain, and Moses received uh, the Ten Commandments and the regulations that went with the law. Verse 22 is a sharp contrast to that experience and that sight. But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Stop a minute. It's a real place. 
as we're sitting here right now, there is a real city of God. There's a real heavenly Jerusalem. There really are streets of gold. It's not metaphoric. They're literal streets of gold. It's a real place. Bible prophesies one day the heavenly Jerusalem will come down. I can't wait for that day. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. That's God's preeminent people, the church, whose names are written in heaven. I'm so happy my name is written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the word that the blood of Abel speak? Judgment. Cain killed his brother Abel. And God said to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. But what is the blood that Jesus shed cry out? Mercy, even though he deserves judgment. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. We inherit what cannot be shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Come on, say it. Ready? Awe. I mean, to just be in awe of all that God has done for us and what he has planned for us. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, here's what I felt led to do. Two statements, but we want to look at them in the context of what we just read. One we will look at today. The second we will look at next week. And you go back to verse 15. Here's today. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Next week we'll look at Esau who was sexually immoral and for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. We'll look at that. And I call it fighting the flesh. Very practical message next week. Not that this one today is not. Bitterness. Here's a simple definition. Extreme ill will. A grudge. And if left undealt with, it can actually turn into Hatred. You can be so embittered toward the person or persons that you actually hate them. Bitterness not only affects me, if I allow it to bite me, it'll affect others. And we'll see how that works out as we go along. There are a lot of causes of bitterness. Let me give you one that you might think of first and foremost. A wrong done to you. A wrong done to me. Hey, let me clue you in on life. If you haven't realized it yet, let me clue you in. Okay, listen. It's not a matter of if a wrong will be done to you. It's a matter of when, by whom, and in what way. Did you get that? 
Unless you're living in a corner of the universe somewhere all by yourself, it's going to happen. And I'm not talking about just from the world. The writer of the Hebrews uh, that we're studying, in the day that he wrote it, these Christians were under persecution by a man named Nero. He's wicked. He hated Christians. But you don't have to have a Nero ruling, and you don't have to have it come from the world. Just get involved in the church. (laughs) Going to happen. Lot's servants quarreled with Abraham's servants because God was blessing both of these men. Uh, Their livestock was multiplying. There wasn't enough provision in the land together uh, to provide. And so their servants quarreled. And Abraham said, hey, we're brothers. It wouldn't be right to continue this. And thank God, Abraham humbled himself, said, you take which way you're going to go and I'll take the other way. But it could have been disastrous if you didn't have one person that was humble. Esau, even though mentioned in the text, and we'll look at it next week, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights, Nevertheless, he had a wrong done to him, his brother Jacob. Remember, with mom's help, mom helped Jacob uh, by putting goat hair on him to make him like his hairy brother Esau. Mom cooked the stew that Esau would cook and, and gave it to her own husband. So she deceived her own husband. Amazing. A son and a mother. Deceiving dad and husband in that way. One of the most godly men in the Bible, man after God's own heart, David. And yet, you know, David made some pretty big blunders. There's an interesting story, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the story quickly, summarize it. 1 Samuel 25. David and his men, he's running from Saul. He's got these guys that come and become his followers, uh, and they are together running from Saul. They're in a place called Maon. In Maon is a a place called Carmel, and there's a guy named Nabal that's in Carmel at at the time. It's sheep shearing time. That's the most festive time of the year, okay? David and his men uh, in the area of Maon, Nabal is a rich guy, got a lot of servants, got a lot of livestock. David and his men are actually protecting Nabal's servants where they are and keeping any harm from coming to them or anything of Nabal's being taken, livestock or whatever. So David thinks, well, we'll just, we'll just send good word to this guy. So he sends a delegation of his men to Nabal, and uh, they greet him and say, long may you live and prosper. In other words, hey, God bless you. We come from David, and since it's such a festive time, uh, David was wondering, could you spare anything for he and his men? Well, Nabal, Nabal his name means fool. He lives up to his name. He says to David's men, A lot of young guys are breaking away from their masters these days, so why am I going to give something of mine and give it to this guy? I don't know. He's a rebel, basically. And they go back and tell David. David immediately is bitter. Immediately. He says, strap on your swords, boys. By tomorrow, if there's one male alive in all of Nabal's servants and his family, it'll be basically over my dead body. He's going to slay them all, wipe them all out. Thank God, Abigail, Nabal's wife, comes and pleads with David and has gifts, and she's a type of the Holy Spirit, and David relents, and, but he would have gone through with it if it wasn't for that. What's interesting about the story to me, it happens in, in between 1 Samuel 24 and 26. Duh. Say, so what do you mean? 
Well, that's in 1 Samuel 25. You know what happens both in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26? David has opportunity because God puts his arch enemy, basically Saul, who's out to kill him for no good reason. David's innocent. And he puts him right where David can have it his life. And his own men say, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. And two times, both in chapter 24 and chapter 26, David rebukes his men, won't allow them to harm Saul. Says, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. In other words, I'm not going to respond bitterly the way he is responding bitterly to me. But right in between those two incidents, the fool comes along. And all it takes is one fool in your life to lead you down a bad path, a bitter path. You know the story of Joseph, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery down in Egypt, and then down in Egypt, one wrong after another done to him. Jephthah, the bastard son, his mother was a prostitute. His father later had legitimate children. When those sons of this legitimate relationship now grew up, they kicked Jephthah out of the family. They said, you're not going to be part of our family. The apostle Paul, after he gave his life to Christ, a lifetime of abuse. In one of the most endearing churches of the Apostle Paul, the church of Philippi, two ladies who had been in ministry together, ministered alongside the Apostle Paul, Euodia and Syntyche, had this bitter experience and they wouldn't even minister together anymore. And you know about the apostles. You've heard of them. I mean, it says they argued. I mean, repeat it. They argued over who was the greatest. James and John on one occasion go to Jesus and they say, we got a request of you. Jesus says, what is it you want? Well, just this. When you come into your kingdom, one of us would like to sit on your right hand and one of us would like to sit on your left. It says when the other 10 heard the request that James and John made, they were indignant. On the very night Jesus was betrayed by Judas... A dispute arose among the apostles as to which of them was the greatest. Point, it's not a matter of if you're going to be wronged or offended. It's a matter of when, by whom, and in what way. Sometimes it's the perception, the assumption of a wrong. Again, I'll just give you the scripture and summarize the story. Joshua 22 Israelites settled in the promised land. God had granted uh, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh to settle on the east side of the Jordan. But he says, now all you men of these tribes have to go in and fight with your brothers until they secure their inheritance. Then you can go back to your inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. They're settled. They're going back. They stop at the Jordan. They build an altar. Joshua 22 calls it an imposing altar. Why an imposing altar? Because when the other tribes hear that these guys have built an altar, they immediately assume it's an idolatrous altar. How quickly would they turn away from the God that they've all served together? They strap on their swords. They're going to take care of their own brothers. Thank God they at least give them an opportunity to say something. And here's what they said. No, man, look, we built this because the Jordan is now going to be separating us and we don't want our children or our children's children and future generations 
to serve any other God. And we want this altar here to be representative and speak to future generations that even though the Jordan separates us physically, we are united spiritually. And thank God, it saved the civil war in Israel. Acts 21, remember Paul gets to Jerusalem? He's got Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the temple area, this uncircumcised Gentile. They couldn't go where the circumcised Jews could go in the temple. He could go in the court of the Gentiles. And the people assumed that Paul had taken this uncircumcised Gentile where it was forbidden. A whole riot breaks out. They almost tear Paul limb from limb, all because they assumed something that was not true. Now perk up and listen to this next one because this one I think, for me, the most difficult to deal with. And that's a wrong done to someone you love. I'm going to turn to it and read a couple of verses. You're welcome to turn to it. Or again, you can just listen. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13 Here's how the story begins. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, Absalom, son of David. Now, David had more than one wife. And so you had uh, kids with different mothers and the same father. You have what we would call today a blended family. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, son of Shimei, David's brother. Uh, so this is Amnon's cousin. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? What's bothering you? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, I'd like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. David consents to the request. Tamar prepares the food, brings it to Amnon's chamber. When she gets there, Amnon asks all the servants that serve him as the king's son to leave. Get out of here. Let everybody leave me. He's now alone with Tamar. He says to Tamar, bring the food into my bedroom. And as he lies on his bed and she comes to feed him, he reaches and grabs her arm and pulls her and says, come to bed with me, my sister. She resists. She says, you'll become a fool if you do this. Don't do this thing. You'll become a fool and I'll be disgraced. But because he's stronger than her, he pulls her down. He rapes her. Ironically, after he rapes her, it says he hated her more than he loved her. He calls his servant in and says, get this woman out of my room and bolt the door behind her. She can't come back. She leaves. She tears her, her ornamented robe that all the virgin daughters of the king wore, and she puts ashes on her head. She's weeping, and she goes to her full-blood brother, Absalom, and Absalom He's suspicious right away, and he says, did Amnon do this? Is this Amnon? Did Amnon do this? And he invites her to live with him. And if you read the story, verse 21, when King David heard all this, he was furious, and yet he didn't respond as he should have as a father. 
That's not the point of the story, but you need to know as much as he loved God, he failed as a father. Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years go by. He doesn't say one word to Amnon, good or bad. Two years go by. And the whole two years, Absalom is conspiring. It's sheep shearing time again. He goes to his dad, King David. He says, Dad, sheep shearing time, why don't you and all the kids... All you, all my brothers and sisters, why don't you come to where I'm shearing sheep and let's have a festive time. David's an older man, and even though Absalom urged him, he says, no, nah, I'm not going to make the trip. He says, well, then, come on, get Amnon to go. Amnon, get him to go. And David urges Amnon, and Amnon goes. And Absalom has said secretly to his men, when we're at the party, and Amnon is high in spirit off of the wine, when I give the signal, you draw your swords and you take him down. He gives the signal, his men do exactly what he said. Word gets back to the king that all of his sons are dead. That's not true. David eventually finds out the truth. Only Amnon is dead. And Absalom is the one who killed him. Absalom goes and flees to Geshur, to the king of Geshur. That's basically his granddad on that relative side. And he's there for three years. And the spirit of David longed to go to Absalom. He was consoled after three years over Amnon's death. But he still doesn't call for his son. To shorten the story, Joab, his general, encourages David to bring Amnon, Absalom back. And he sends word to Absalom. He can come back to Jerusalem, but he can't see my face. That's a pretty serious timeout. Two years go by. Absalom doesn't see his dad's face. David won't let him into his presence. Finally, again encouraged by Joab, uh, David lets Absalom come before him, and it says he kisses him. But if you read the story carefully, he kisses him, but he hasn't forgiven him. Of sins that Absalom committed, that David himself had committed and been forgiven of by God. But don't miss the point. Even though David failed as a father, Absalom is responsible. Despite his father's failure, he's responsible for his own attitude. And let me note, where did this whole bitter snowball start? How did it start? It started when a wrong was done. to someone Absalom loved dearly, his sister. Let me give you a little personal footnote. And I'm not saying this because anything's wrong. But you touch my daughter. You touch my daughter. You say, I can take you. You might take me, but I got three sons. And one of them's real good with a shotgun. You say, I can't believe the pastor said that. I'm telling you, this is the most difficult one. You mess with my daughter. It's going to be very difficult for me to wait for the law to come and deal with you. I'm going to be calling Hayden. Hayden, get the shotgun. Now, I, I, God willing, that won't happen. That wouldn't happen even if the scenario played out. I'm just telling you, come on, be honest. Dad, listen, your daughter? Somebody takes advantage of your daughter? That's a tough one. And here, 
Listen, what did our text say? See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It affected a whole family, David's family, and even the nation of Israel at the time. That's a tough one. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. People having idols might seem like an outdated idea, but the truth is people have all kinds of idols these days. It might not be a carved image or something that you literally bow down to, but what about your priorities? It could be sports or that TV show that you just can't miss or anything that takes your focus away from God and is put in a higher standing than Him. The book of Hebrews is great at highlighting how God should be in that top priority spot, and if anything else takes his place, then it's an idol. Do you see these areas in your life today? Well, we all have things that we need help to keep in check, and Hebrews provides a solid reminder of who God is and how nothing else can compare. We're so glad that you've taken the time to listen today. Here at The Living Word, we'd love for you to pray for this ministry. We always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first, just like Hebrews focuses on. We need God's guidance, so would you pray that we'd always recognize His voice? Thanks so much for praying. If you'd like to connect with us in person, check out ccfstpete.church for our service times. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Hebrews, right here on The Living Word.